Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me today. Again, I'm really honoured by your presence. Uh, we have been doing a small series on Islam, their history, their geography, their geology, how it impacts uh, this movement. And uh, we've talked about how it started, the Quraysh tribe. Uh, we've talked about Muhammad. We've talked about the Qibla. Um, we talked about the schism of, of the Hebrew move, uh, kingdom, which led to the separation of the state and, and different tribes going in different directions, forming different political movements. And one of those political movements being the Yehud, uh, and then forming uh, the, the kingdom of Yehud, the the Judean, the province of Jehud, uh, Yehud, uh, the Roman province of Yehud, um, and then finally the Christian movement, the early Christian movement, and then, um, you know, well, canning out into Christianity. Um, on the on the northern side, you had uh, the people of the book uh, and their um, orthodoxy, the Hebrew orthodoxy, um, who disappeared after the the. A Syrian invasion uh, were then taken as slaves and came back amalgamated into the um, into the Judean provinces, the Hasmonean kingdoms, the Persian kingdoms, uh, the Hasmoneans. Uh, after that, then the Greeks, the Greek uh, Hellenistic era, the Roman era, with the province of Judea, and then finally disbanding into different directions and. Um, moving into Europe, moving into South Asia, moving into into the Arab Peninsula. And one of those tribes that were um, in, the, in the Arabian desert in Medina, should I say two of those tribes, uh, they were the ones who, in my opinion, started this movement along with Umar uh, and using the name of the man behind the title, Muhammad. As we also saw that there is no name Muhammad in the Quran, it's all in the Hadith. And so... I will use the word Muhammad for this chapter, but it's when I say Muhammad, I really mean the man behind the title Muhammad. Now we talked about Medina, these two Jewish tribes who were in Medina, um, then called Yatrib, and uh, they were the ones, in my opinion, who start the um, the actual movement, the political movement. Uh, one of the most important things that comes out of this is the constitution of Medina. We've talked about it slowly in the last chapter. We are going to do it again, start from the beginning, and we'll see why this is a telltale sign that they, Muhammad did not start Islam. It was uh, the Jewish tribes, the Hebrew tribes of Medina, and the, the Caliph Umar. So we'll start from it again, all from the top, and we'll go from there. So the Constitution of Medina from 622 AD, which most people be believe is dictated by Allah to Muhammad and written on his behalf. It tells the whole story perfectly. The term Constitution was only used in 1956, but its earliest commentary states that this document has been called the book or the kitab as the agreement of Medina. Uh, between the Muminun and the Muhajirun. So the Muminun are the believers, the true believers of Ilahi, uh, Allah, uh, and the Muhajirun, the immigrants of the Quraysh tribe from Mecca, and the inhabitants of Yatrib, okay, all to form 
uh, Ummah Wahida, one nation. So they were all going to form, that means the Muminun, the Muhajirun, and the inhabitants of Yathrib were going to form the Ummah Wahida. The Arabic commentary by the 8th century historian Abu Ubaid al-Qasim, Ibn Salam, reads, Lil Yahudi Dinam Valilum Valil Munimun. I'll repeat that. Lil Yahudi Dinuhum Valil Munimun. To the Yehud their code and to the believers their code. So this is the commentary written by an 8th century uh, historian Al-Qasim Ibn Salam. Uh, the translation is not completely accepted by all. Okay. However, notice the word above used for Jews. Yahudi. It does not say Jews. It says Yahudi, which means those descended from the Yehud and not or Judah and not Jews, because there were no Jews during this time. Very important to understand this point. Um, I, I repeat this, this is not called the Constitution back in 622, it's only called um, the Kitab, um, and it's between the, the believers, the Muminun, the Muhajirun, and the inhabitants or the Ansar of Yathrib to form a Umar and the term used for Hebrews over here is Yehudi. That means uh, to the Yehud their court and to the believers their court. Hebrew tribes that signed the agreement are known as Yehud or Yahud. They were the enemies of the people of the book. Now remember, the people of the book are those that are descendants from the orthodoxy of uh, uh, Judaism, Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew uh, culture, the Hebrew kingdom, um, and they were mostly from the northern tribes. Why are the people from, of the book not mentioned in the document as the Quran? The Muminun, or believers, are those controlling the deen, that is the people of the book. So the Muminun, uh, or the believers, Muminun, are called believers. There was no such thing as Muslims. Muslims were the people, citizens of Medi of of the Islamic empire. Those who believe in the Quran in those days were called Muminun, and it still uh, exists. Mumin or Mumin, okay? Those are those who believe in the Quran. That means you can live in an Islamic empire, but if you don't believe uh, in the Quran, you're not a Muminun, you're Muslim. So Muminun of believers are those that controlling the deen, that is the people of the book. This means they were the one writing the document, were the ones, and they were the ones asking the Yehud and the migrants of Mecca to submit to their book. Now, what I'm trying to say here is, um, if you're coming to my house or my, I give an example, my uh, gym, I'm going to ask you to sign the document before you enter. I'm going to ask you to put put the password in if you're coming, to, if I have a gymnasium, I'm going to ask you to slide your key or put your password in. If you don't have the password, you can't enter. So you have to sign something. So th this means that the ones writing the document were the Yehud. If they're asking the Yehud to sign, if they're asking the Ansar to sign, but they are not there, that means they're writing the book. Remember, uh, there was no Quran. So when you're saying Kut Kitab, Okay, there's no, in those, in those days, kitab means book, the, there were no Quran, no hadith, no sunnah, no sirah, no tafsir, no fiqh written down at the same, at this time. So what book were they referring to? The book of agreement are the five books of Moses, that, or the Torah, 
they who who agreed to the book, who who followed the book, were the people of the book. Okay, so the people of the book were the ones who control, who interpreted the five books of of Moses, and for them they would. The five books of Moses was the most important books in the world. The real dean was the Bet Dean, or the court of the people of the book who controlled the oasis. So the dean we're talking about here is not the dean of Islam. It was the Bet Dean they were talking about. Those who control the people of the book. Uh, sorry, those who control the oasis at Medina, uh, or Yatrib at that point. Um, Now, they followed it up with Musaf, extra recitations, which later became the Quran. So when they took people into their tribes, into their area of, of uh, Medina, because they were all living in different areas of Medina, um, when they allowed these uh, Meccans, uh, the Muhajirun, the, the Ansar, the, the other inhabitants, uh, and other tribes to come into their areas, uh, they wrote extra musaf for them, extra recitations, and those recitations finally become the Quran. That is why in the first five chapters of Quran, the people of the book are mentioned 31 times. I repeat, in the first five chapters of the Quran, the people of the book are mentioned 31 times. Why would you write a book where you name yourself 31 times, but there's no Muhammad in that? Uh, something should ring a bell. By insisting on this agreement to the book, the Javaf, the inner part of Yatrib, would become sacred or haram, okay? Uh, thus free from impurities, like zones in, during the COVID pandemic. So you have to understand the context of this time was the 536 AD pandemic or uh, vol volcanic, um, uh, volcanic eruption. It brought down empires, okay? It brought down the empires of the Middle East, of uh, the Persians, the Romans. Um, you had the Gupta Empire on the Indian subcontinent, the Mayans on, on the, on, in, in, in the Americas. It brought down all these economics. And there was a pandemic was raging, not different from the COVID. Okay, only thing, they didn't have any vaccines. But this book, the Hebrews considered that this book, okay, the five books of Moses, were the vaccine for their pandemic of 536 AD. So the moment you start following the book of Moses, you're going to heaven, everything's going to be okay because it talks about, you know, how you keep yourself clean, blah, 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 pray to God, keep yourself clean, distancing, social distancing of their time. And you would become, so the inner part of Yatrib where they were, was was would become sacred. Uh, or haram meaning you can, it's forbidden for other people, okay? When they say haram, it doesn't mean bad, it means it's forbidden for other people. That's free from impurities. Only those who signed the treaty would be allowed into this space. This place was banned or prohibited, tahrim, from those who did not sign the treaty. So those who said, look, you know what, I don't care, I'm not signing your treaty, I'm not signing your book, and I'm not coming into your area, even if there's a pandemic, uh, they were not allowed in this area or tahrim. It's very much like the anti-vax today. They say, I don't care what the pandemic is. I'm not taking your vaccine. Those tribes that, tribe that did not submit to the or sign the kitab were the Banu Daddi, Banu Quraiza, and Banu Kainuka. So Q 
A-Y-N-U-Q-A. The change in the Qibla by a revelation from Allah was for those who signed the people of the book. Thus the Quranic verse, chapter 2, verse 144 and chapter 2, verse 149. The real word used in this verse was al-Masjidi al-Harami, or the Masjid al-Haram, or Masjid, but where is the Masjid al-Haram? Okay, so they used the word in these verses that I mentioned, two, uh, Surah 2, 144, Surah 2, 149. They used the word Al-Masjidi Al-Harami. This is the first five chapters of the Quran. So where is the Masjid Al-Haram? Why did they not use the word Makkah or Makaroba? There were many Masjid Al-Harams in Arabia. Haram means forbidden, so it was forbidden by generations of tribes in Arabia to fight in around the area, but around the particular masjid. Again, masjid does not mean gathering place. Sorry, masjid just means gathering place. However, if the people of the book allied with Umar and the Muhajirun, that means the immigrants from Mecca at Medina for geopolitical power, then the Hebrew ideology became the ideology known today as the Quran, or at least part of it. That is why in the fifth chapter of the Quran, Surah 5, verse 3, one sees, This day I have perfected, completed your religion, thus terminating the translations of the five books of Moses to the new Ummah Wahidi, or one nation. Everyone had to submit to them, and their courts, as in the deen, the, the deen was actually the bet deen of the Yehud, and everyone in this new Ummah Wahida had to submit to them. And that is why the fifth chapter says, well, today I've completed your religion, because the first Muslims of the Quran were made by the people of the book. Um, the submission to the deen, or the bet deen of the Hebrews in the alliance, to eventually take over the region of by Umar and control the economics of the area, that is the trade and commerce, while taking back control of the most important place in the world for the Hebrews, the Temple Mount. Thereby the worst Surah 2.149, although officially translated by Islam as turned towards the Kaaba in Mecca, I believe the worst was really an order of the people of the book to tell the new Umar Wahidi to turn towards Jerusalem and not vice versa. So there is a, a verse in the, in, this, in the Quran, Surah 2, verse 149, that says, turn towards the Masjid al-Haram. And, and Islam has translated that as turn towards Mecca. Okay? But that's not true. If, they, if these people sign the the Kitab, that means the Constitution of Medina, they actually joined the people of the book in their area and formed the new Ummah Wahidi. Okay? And that means a new order. And this new order was submission to the Deen, to the Bet Deen. And that Bet Deen then became the Deen. Uh, and so once they submitted, their, their, their duty was to turn towards Jerusalem. Later one sees in the verse, Surah 2, verse 79, saying, So woe to those who write the scripture with their own hands, then say this is from Allah. Okay. Basically, all scriptures of the Bible, descendants of the sorry, all scriptures of the New Testament, descendants of the descendants of the Yehud, who eventually deinstitutionalized the Torah, then turned Christians, were incorrect warning them not to mingle with Christians or even consider their book as the only people of the book um, had 
the real book of God, that is the Torah. So basically in this verse, Surah 2, chapter, uh, verse, sorry, Surah 2, verse 79. So woe to those who write the scriptures with their own hands. Basically, uh, they're talking about the Christians and the people of the book are talking about the Christians because the people of the book are saying, um, look, the Christians um, separated from us. They were one. It's very much like this Congress, Indian National Congress, who were one, but they separated into different factions. And the different factions um, then formed their own. And the Congress says, whoever goes against the Congress or forms their own new factions, the Congress says, don't work for them, don't work for TMC, don't work for AAP, don't work for BJP. But we were all one at one point. And why do we split? Because of the supremacy of this of this uh, people of the book they're suffocating supremacy and insistence that everyone submits only to them you see the resemblance in the indian national congress for those who who uh, who are um, talking for those who understand indian politics uh it is absolutely ridiculous the congress are supremacist massive supremacist groups says they are the truth the way the life everyone should submit to them to their interpretation their life without ever looking elsewhere uh, and that's why they call everyone fascist hate speech fascist hate speech islamophobic because they cannot they cannot grasp that people do not listen to their supremacy so when people are moving to the other direction they say oh look hate speech Basically, they're trying to camouflage their transgressions and misgivings that that they're a supremacist, supremacist group and 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 they don't really say anything except ask you to submit to their narcissism um, and make us all narcissists in the return. And that's why the people of the book, no one liked them. And they were doing exactly the same thing. Uh, everywhere they went, there were problems. Everywhere there was fight. Everywhere there were people separating on this this banding and and that happened in the kingdom of jerusalem and kingdom of israel and every time instead of going back to the drawing board and say look what is the problem can we talk about it no they all they said was negate 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 and so comes surah 2 uh verse 79 so woe to those who write the scriptures with their own hands because they think the scriptures that moses gave them is perfect no one can touch it and everyone else who interpreted it's a different way says is is wrong uh, and, and that's that comes typically from the people of the book it's in the quran if it's in the quran it means only one thing the people of the book wrote for sure the first five chapters of, your, of, of the quran if not more um, when the people of the book around Yatub and Petra would have shared the scriptures with the Islamic movement, uh, with the new movement, their anger with their traditional opponents was evident and transferred to a new liturgical scriptures of the young Islamic movement. In order to maintain the geopolitical alliance, the Islamic movement took over the conflict and anger of the northern Israelites towards their ancient Yehudi falls and put it in the Quranic writings. Thus we have in the Quran verses regarding the people of the book, people of the scriptures mentioned clearly in chapter 2 verse 159, chapter 4 verse 153, chapter 5 verse 5 and 15, chapter 6 verse 105, chapter 74 Verse 31. Then you have the Quranic Jews are pigs and kill the Christians and do not take Christians and Yehudi for your friends among others. Verses regarding Jews, Christians in the Quran as in chapter 4, 
verse 159, chapter 2, verse 113, and, and chapter 15, verse 190, chapter 2, 78, chapter 4, 156. This rhetoric was definitely not by accident. The people of the book were desperate to build the Temple of Solomon, something which they were aware what could not be done alone. So if there's any doubt about who really drew up the Medina Charter, as it's called today, take a look at the Sira al-Rasul by Ibn Ishaq, page 31. It's written, the covenant between the Muslim and the Medinans and the Jew and with the Jews. Okay, so that's the that's the chapter. Uh, right at the bottom of the page, it says this document from Muhammad the Prophet between the believers and the Muslims of the Quraysh and Yathrib. Okay, I'll repeat that. This document from Muhammad the Prophet between the believers and the Muslims of Yathrib and and the Quraysh. So. Here's the point of this very important line which will tell you everything about Islam. So if the Muslims were led by Muhammad and the Muslims are also believers, then what does it mean? Muhammad made a document for himself between, between his own tribe. The believers and the Muslims are the same group unless the believers are not the Muslims. The believers are the people of the book, the priestly class of the ancient kingdom of Israel, they signed an agreement with the non-Hebrews to bring them into the fold, there was no Muhammad involved at all. If you did not understand this part, I will repeat it. It's very important. It is the most important part in the whole history of, of Islam. So if there is any doubt about who really drew up the Medina Charter, as it's called today, Take a look at the Sirah al-Rasul by Ibn Ishaq, page 31. The covenant between the Muslims and the Medinans with the Jews. Right at the bottom of the page, it says, This document from Muhammad, the prophet, the prophet between the believers of the, and the Muslims of the Quraysh and the Yathrib. If the Muslims were led by Muhammad and the Muslims were also the believers, then what does it mean? Muhammad made this document for himself between his own tribe because the Muslims and the Medina, the, the believers and the Muslims are the same thing. If the believers and the Muslims are the same thing, so Muhammad signed the, the treaty between the believers and the Muslims, doesn't make any sense. Muhammad made the believers and the Muslims are the same group unless the believers are not the Muslims. The believers are the people of the book, the priestly class of the ancient kingdom of Israel, they signed an agreement with non-Hebrew tribes to bring them into their fold. There was no Muhammad involved at all. So Muhammad's death, always a topic of discussion. How did he die? Why did he take so long to bury him? Uh, he said, it is said to have been, he was sick shortly after giving his last sermon and then fallen ill. He dies very shortly afterwards. Well, an old man in the, in the time of a pandemic and after taking it upon himself to help the poor or less Arab bed, fortunate Arab Bedouin, he could have very likely contracted the disease after mixing with people who were helpless and came from areas affected by the pandemic, an illness of some sort that eventually cost him his life. I think, however, there was more to the story that was not told. 
You see, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If, if Muhammad's daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren and family members were killed, then the sequence of events goes starts higher up. The people of the book, who prided themselves in being clean and pure from illness and sores, would not have appreciated Muhammad's illness. The prophet who came from Makkah, Makkah as in people with sores who are banded off, disbanded off to a leprosy colony. Getting rid of him would have been important for them because he was unclean, impure. They more than likely wanted to make sure that they were not affected too. In his weakness, they took his life. That sequence of events then followed with his family, who would have been also considered impure, so they were killed too. Muhammad's dealing with the sick during a pandemic would have got him infected and impure from illness. Uh, no one from the people of the book, nor Umar's clan, would have wanted to close the wanted to go close to the body. Muhammad's uh, a simple nomad who did not take sides, so he was neutral. He did not associate with associate with groups as mentioned in the Quran. So no one wanted to give him in a space in their cemeteries. Finding a place to bury a neutral nomad who died from impure illnesses in the midst of a pandemic would have led to the final decision by his family to bury Muhammad in his own home or what we would have known as his tent or mud hut. So he goes to Mecca one last time, or so the story says, but he could have very well gone back to Mecca. Um, and they changed the story after that. He falls sick, there's a pandemic raging, and the moment you're sick, a moment you get a, 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 an illness, they, you're considered impure. And the moment you get your impure, people will, uh, the, the people around will kill you because you're considered cursed by God. And that is the perfect reason. The moment you're cursed by God, it gives others a chance to kill you. And so he was, in my opinion, killed, similarly as... Uh, uh, you know, his his daughter, his daughter-in-law, so on and so forth. So, in my opinion, Muhammad doesn't start uh, Islam. He has nothing to do with it. It was Umar who started Islam with the people of the book. And we'll see why later on. Uh, they killed Muhammad, uh, although the official story is Muhammad was killed uh, by a Jew, but there were no such thing as Jews back then. And they did take a couple of days to bury him it was not immediately and that's why he's buried in his own tent or his own house um and that grave is in medina it's not in mecca um the official story is muhammad got sick uh but they didn't say why oh, some hadith say he was poisoned but he didn't say why i'll tell you why he definitely did get sick not because of any jew or anyone else because there was a pandemic going on so we'll go back to this uh, to Muhammad, uh, so his family was isolated, threatened, and left in poverty. They were killed in approximately 50 years following the death of Muhammad. Some descendants of his family would have fled to the Indian subcontinent, and the Umayyads then took over the land using Muhammad's name and legacy to further their vested interests. Muhammad was, an, was called Ahul Bayat, which in Arabic signifies the Prophet's family. He survived by his daughter Fatima, her husband, Muhammad's cousin, um, uh, the fourth Caliph Ali. So Fatima, the Muhammad's daughter, 
had her house attacked and the door of her house burned down as her husband, the Prophet's son-in-law and cousin, declined to give the oath of allegiance to the first caliph, Abu Bakr. She died three months, within three to five months later, losing her fifth unborn child in the turmoil. She was persecuted, harassed and tortured. Fatima was also left in poverty without giving her due share of the properties of her father, the Prophet Muhammad. Khalif Ali, the Prophet's son-in-law, Fatima's husband, was denied his right to lead a small Muslim community and continue the legacy of Muhammad. He was then assassinated while praying in the mosque. He was wounded by a poisoned sword and succumbed to his, uh, his wounds. He died in 661. Imam Hassan, grandson of the Prophet, was poisoned in the orders of the governor of Syria, Muvavia. Uh, Muavia. He died in 670 AD at the age of six, not 46. Imam Hussein, another grandson of the Prophet, was martyred in Karbala in 680 AD on the orders of Yazid ibn Muvayya. He was killed with around 70 other members of his family and companions. Imam Ali, son of Hussein, he was poisoned by Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. He died in 713 AD. Several other descendants of Muhammad's family all ended up dead after poisoning and other assassination attempts by the followers of the Umayyad and the Abbasid Caliphs. The caliphs uh, who went to form the colonial empire of Islam right from the deathbed of the Prophet Muhammad, starting with the Rashidun caliphs, supposedly rightly guided, to the Umayyad, the Abbasid, the Ottoman Caliphate. Some of the descendants of Muhammad fled to the Indian subcontinent. They are called Sayyid. In Arabic, Sayyid is an honoric title given to those who were descended from the Prophet Muhammad's grandson Hassan. It translated to Lord, a leader, or chieftain. They are also sometimes given the title Mir or Amir. Those who descended from the grandson Hussein are called Sharif. Today there are anywhere from 10 to 15 million people on the Indian subcontinent who use these surnames, come titles, but 99% of them have no reason to use it. They have simply done so with the sole intention of giving themselves a privileged position in the Islamic community for being the descendant of, um, of Prophet Muhammad. Once on the Indian subcontinent, the original Sayyid requested permission from the local Hindu kings to seek refuge, which they were given. They were also heavily sought after by Arab Bedouins on the orders of the Islamic Caliphate of the time. The Bedouin who tried to invade the subcontinent to finish the family of the Prophet. Unlike Muhammad, Omar and the people of the book had to force people to submit to their authority so that they could work as cheap labor to the benefit of the ruling class. This core group used all the unemployed people who had no work to play their dirty tricks and be the mafia on the land. They were never able to have the dialogue, neither form any bond. Hence, they were not able to earn a living with the caravan trade, forcing their hand to resort to the violent means to earn their bread. In, 19, in the 1980s, the former Libyan leader Gaddafi used unemployed Tuareg refugees to train and use as elite military units for their knowledge of the Sahara Desert, their fighting capacities to fight in his army. He had territorial ambitions to take over other desert lands and manipulated their weakness. 
many of the Tuareg realized pr pretty early on that they were being used by Gaddafi and left, as they did not have the mentality to fight, nor did they want any war. When an individual steals, robs, cheats, it's only for one thing only, to gain money for food or to fill his or her stomach. It always starts from this point and gets worse. This is because they have no knowledge of history and their sequence, thus no way to achieve basic requirements of life. Someone who has knowledge can have that dialogue, would never steal, raid or rob. The Arab Bedouin, led by the Umayyad branch of the Quraysh, never understood the science and were not able to have that dialogue. Just like the Tuareg who left the Gaddafi military camps, the unemployed Bedouin youth during Muhammad's time tried to leave the Islamic Caliph Umar fighting force in what we know as the Rida Wars, or the Wars of Apostasy. So very much like Gaddafi when he tried to take all these unemployed Berber Tuareg into his army to fight for his territorial needs. The same people who Umar had gathered uh, during the unemployment of, of, the, of the first of the seventh century and the, and the sixth century, sorry, the seventh century, once um, they got fed up and realized that this is not what they wanted, they tried to leave. They like, tried to leave Umar's uh, camp, okay? And it was called the War of Apostasy, or the Rida Wars. Why? Because they couldn't have people leaving. They, it's, like, it's like your army deserting you. Would you like your army deserting you? No. Uh, that's how is, Afghanistan came down, because the army deserted them, and they didn't stand up. It is said that Umar used Muhammad's companion, Abu Bakr, to rein them in, but that is a story that I believe is also false. It's probably Umar and his men who did the dirty work and forced the unemployed youth to fight. Abu Bakr never had a history of violence, so he was not going to start after Muhammad's passing away. This another story. This is another story that was added posthumously. So it was Umar who was the real architect of the caliphate, besides being responsible for forming and setting up the Islamic jurisprudence, that is the fiqh. On Muhammad's death, the Ansar helpers of native helpers native to Medina held a meeting outside the city to discuss Muhammad's funeral and the future of the community. Omar found out about the secretive meeting and proceeded to join it along with two other muhajirun. So Omar was the real uh, architect of the caliphate of the Islamic movement um, along with the people of the book. Um, people of the book were not going to leave their little town, their little tarim, um, and uh, of Yatub. So they used the people of the book to do all the dirty, sorry, they used, sorry, Umar and his unemployed youth to do all the dirty work. Um, so when Muhammad died, the Ansar, who were the natives of Medina, uh, held a meeting outside the city. Um, Umar found out about the secret meeting and proceeded to join it. Um, along with members of the immigrants from Mecca. Uh, upon arrival, he found that all tribes, the Ansar and the Israelites alike, were united but refused to let the Muhajirin to be part of the ruling coalition. This angered Umar, who thought that only he and the Muhajirin had the right to power. That means he and the immigrants. He used the next two days of intense negotiations, dividing the tribes as per their ancient tribal factions. In other words, he used the same old trick of divide and rule to gain power and establish his regime of submission, now known as Islam.
He then said to have used Abu Bakr, Muhammad's closest companion, as a symbol of unity to form the caliphate, a junction which was a real conception of Islam and totalitarian power in his hands and that of the Muhajirin. Islam thus starts on the principle of divide and rule, for pure power and control of the desert. It was on Umar's insistence that the first caliph ordered the collection of scattered pieces of Muhammad's revelation into Quranic copy, one copy. Umar belonged to the Banu Adi, Adi clan of the Quraysh. They were known as arbitrators. They arbitrated quarrels between tribes, clans, and Bedouins. It also seems now that he modeled the Islamic Caliphate on the laws and traditions of the ancient Hebrews, the Romans, the Celtics, and the Persians. So you see, Umar, the, the second caliph, okay, he comes from a clan who were arbitrators, referees. So any fight, a local fight between the tribes, his father and his, his clan would arbitrate these fights. So he's used to jurisprudence. He's used to this mentality. So that's why he started the fiqh, which is uh, Islamic jurisprudence. Now, you're saying, what is Islamic jurisprudence? It's what you call Sharia law. There is no such thing as Sharia law. It's called Sharia, okay, which is the way. It's not a law. What the law is, is the fiqh. People don't understand that and say Sharia law, but that's that's completely wrong. We'll talk about it later. But um, Umar, because he was used to this mentality of jurisprudence from his, uh, as his as a descendant of this clan, was the one who was interested in it. It was not God who invented it. It was not Muhammad. It was Umar. Okay, it was also Umar's lineage that would transition the Rashidun Caliphate to the Umayyad Caliphate, leading to the Abbasid Caliphate, finally terminating with the Ottoman Caliphate. None of these caliphates resembled Muhammad before 622 AD. None, as the use of Muhammad's name was only to gain leverage and traction among the Arabian tribes in the later part of the Quran. Muhammad was only a brand ambassador to camouflage their requirements for political control of the regions around, for control of the trade and, tri and tribute they ex extracted from him, to ensure the survival in a region where they did not have the ability to be good caravan merchants, especially during a time of recession. So you see, Muhammad was a good caravan merchant. He, he had all his contacts. Why is he going to enter into war? Why is he going to go and raid caravans? Who raids caravans? People who don't have money, people who don't have food, people who don't have any economics to put on their table. It's very much like an animal going out to hunt. If they have something to eat, they're not going to go out for a hunt. So Muhammad would have had something to eat or he had his contacts where he could trade, he could buy and sell goods or his people could buy and sell goods. So he was, they were not hungry. But Omar was very bad in caravan trade, and so a lot of people at the bottom of the ladder, remember, we are cyclic, so there's always a bottom. So at the bottom, people will collect as, as all the dirt is collected, and, and, and the bubbles, the oxygen, will rise to the surface. Um, these people had no possibility to do anything, and, um, and, and um, the only thing they could do was caravan, was, was raid. So this story of raiding and violence and all this violence you see in, in Islam is all Omar, but it's attached to Muhammad. It's completely wrong. 
from five from 636 AD onwards in Islamic incursions from the past Hindu Kush mountain range inhabited by the Hindus uh, and Buddhists led to bloodshed that has not stopped until the present day 21st century they were more or less successful in spurts and started to begin with but in 71180 the tide turned and the Arab Bedouins invaded and took over the kingdom of Sindh part of modern day Pakistan today we have almost 600 million Muslims on the Indian subcontinent 99% of them are descendants of people colonized by Arab Turkish and Mongol invaders they are however there was however an exception in 629 AD when the prophet Muhammad was still alive one of his journeymen Malik ibn Dinar traveled to South India some say for trade but also to learn about philosophies he was given permission to open a small mosque um, called the Cheraman Juma Masjid in a town called Kodonga in central Kerala just 30 meters north of Kochi back then a mosque was a place of gathering not prayer the mosque is called Cheraman Perumal the after the local king Islam said they converted locals to uh, Islam and preached the revelation of the Quran okay however neither did Islam take off much after the after Muhammad died nor did the Quran formally was written down so what exactly happened it seems funny that the prophet sent his merchants and philosophers in peace to the Indian subcontinent while alive but Islam butchered their ways to the shows to our shows and beyond after he died all of islamic history is one massive violent genocide does it match he one is either violent all the time or tolerant all the time you cannot take a picture of both in a hurry uh, the pendulum does not swing to such an extent either this is another example of muhammad in his last 10 years of his life which shows that the peace before he fled medina did transfer to uh to uh, the peace before he fled Medina in 622 AD, did it transfer to Medina also? The narrative of violence in this invasion was the story that belonged to Umayyad clan and the future Caliph Umar of the Quraysh tribe, whose own story was married to Muhammad's name for political power posthumously. Again, Muhammad the Prophet also sent an emissary to China in six. 16618 with his sahaba um and another um they reached canton china in 629 again no violence unlike the arabian peninsula but islam says that they set up a mosque and spread the religion or did they muhammad's family would have tried in vain to change the status quo always being in the minority and not in the majority they succumbed once the first and second generation of Muhammad's family was taken care of, the path to power would be clear. A very similar situation in, as Christianity. Because for those who understand Christianity, the first hundred years was taken care of, of Jesus' family. All of a sudden, they disappear from history. Where did they go? I mean, it can't be possible. This is the same way. So first... Muhammad's family is, is is there, you know, taking care of somewhat of his legacy. After that, they just disappear. This junction where the first civil war of Islam takes place is called the fitna between 656 AD and 661 AD. In my opinion, a revolt broke out between the people of the book and um, the goons of Uthman. 
as the former cont wanted control of the Temple Mount, and later want and the latter wanted control of Petra. Uthman and his faction would have been tired of submitting to the people of the book who are a bunch of supremacists who wanted totalitarian control. Remember, Uthman burned the earlier manuscripts of the Quran to the detriment of some factions in the alliance. The civil war within the alliance led to the first fitna. The Qibla, in my opinion, was changed again by the Islamic movement only for the second civil war within Islam, 692 AD. They began to use Muhammad's name again to gain traction with the people of the book on the ground who opposed the new leadership as they realized that the people of the book were of no use. Neither were the Christians of the land of Syria, Philistina. The governor of Mecca declared himself the Caliph of Islam in defiance the Umayyad Caliphate based out of Damascus who were said to be corrupt. The Abbasid group, based out of Baghdad, allied with Muslim Meccan tribes. The Meccan caliph then changed the direction of prayers and the Qibla from the east towards facing the Kaaba. And the Abbasids and the allies changed the direction of prayer too, to consolidate their geopolitical alliance. Once the Abbasids took over the Islamic empire, after eventually winning the second civil war, the direction of prayer then became the predominant Qibla for 1300 years. Even staying in Jerusalem became different, as difficult as Jerusalem and Petra were only were on the trade route. The move back to Mecca and using the name of Muhammad made name Muhammad uh, Muhammad's name by Abdul Malik Ibn Zubair and the Abbasids was going was because going back to Mecca seemed like a safe self-isolating tactic away from the madness of the Levant, in case a pandemic hit again. Being on the fault line of history was asking for trouble. The Levant was a difficult region to inhabit. It meant a sure and easy point of transmission, not only for goods and services, but diseases. Almost 100 years later, they realized the original man, now referred to as Muhammad, was right after all. It was the people of the book and the Umayyah, who were all the fools in all of this, it was too late to tell the local Bedouins that Islamia was, Islamia was false. So, Ibn Zubair, and um, the, um, he moves, uh, one of the governors of Mecca, he moves, uh, he stays in, in, um, in Mecca and declares his, his own caliphate. And he changes the Qibla because uh, he changes the Qibla to, to, to Mecca. Um, and the Abbasid stood and finally ally with him and they win the battle uh, at about 750 AD. Um, and so self-isolating, uh, it, it, was, it was really a way to self-isolate because um, the problem with the Levant in Jerusalem and Petra is it's right on the trade route. So every time you're there, there are people coming and going. And because there are people coming and going, you're going to get traffic and you're going to get diseases. So the tribe is dying, 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 dying. There's no other way to go about it. So they had to get out of there. It's very much like in the pandemic, in the COVID pandemic today. People were, uh, people were um, 
moving away from, from Montreal, moving away from Toronto, Mon moving away from all the big cities, from Bombay, going inland. Why? Because they're tired of the big cities. It's, it's a zone where people meet, exchange, uh, and you see lots of crowds. It's an easier way to get sick and, a pa and, and die in a pandemic. And the only vaccine they had in those days was the five books of the, of the Torah, was five books of Moses. That was the vaccine. That was they considered the vaccine. So Mecca was away from the trade routes. That was the advantage the Abbasides were looking for when they moved away from the region of Petra in the first place. After 536 AD, the earthquake, as well as subsequent earthquakes until 749 AD, Petra would have been an area of pandemic being the center of trade. Uh, so Medina and Mosul Mecca was in the middle of nowhere, a good place in the middle of the desert to isolate. The heat of the open desert was a good enough to kill any germs and disease that they contracted. Even burying the patient in the sand partially like we do in beaches today would have been like a thermal coat or cover for a patient to kill any virus they contacted. If as of, it's as of Mecca, the desert encampment was pulled out of the basket only for healing any vicious diseases. When Umar and the Umayyad's caliphates fell through the cracks, then the Abbasites knew from their family history going to Mecca was a good solution. The only reason the Abbasites would have used the name of Muhammad or the man behind the title Muhammad was to get people back from the region of Jerusalem and Petra, uh, which the Islamic movement had looked towards for at least 100 years by then. An important point to note is that even though the people of the book and the Caliph Umar never liked Makkah, or the man behind the title Muhammad, they did not lie in his name. It was the Abbasides who used his name posthumously to run their geopolitical agenda. All known as Almost all known Islamic mosques for the first hundred years are facing Petra with more accuracy than later mosques facing Mecca. Uh, as we know from Dan Gibson's uh, research, and I give you, I ask you to research Dan Gibson's website, buy his books because they are fantastic. They tell you about Petra. I think we know about it that the original um, place of uh, the Qibla was Petra and Jerusalem, and. Are these all pre-Islamic structures that were converted into mosques after Islamic invasions in the area? Qiblas towards Mecca started only in 727 in Banhar, Sin, Pakistan. Canadian Dan author, uh, Canadian uh, author Dan Gibson and researcher has a theory. Gibson's amazing work on this earliest mosque opened my eyes to something even bigger. In the ancient world, all architectural structures were mathematical constructions and astronomically aligned metaphors for a reason. They needed to constantly explain astronomy to the locals. All of this to reduce the electromagnetic turbulence and conflict or to the minimum. Thus, every time the ancients built a monument, it represented the position of the celestial stars or summer-winter solstice of its time it was built. If you trace the position or direction to, to the monuments of or to astronomy, you will know when they, they are built. They were all later institutionalized by religions that followed and made into churches and then mosques with the divine Qibla. Over time, Islam forgot that ge original geopolitical alliance invaded half of Africa, Asia and Europe and twisted the labels, giving them more violence. Another spin-off from the schism of the original breakup 
of the kingdom of Israel. Operating out of Mecca is in a very difficult time uh, of a regional pandemic, known that self-isolation and purity rituals alone do not work, meant going in search of medical remedies from other regions and cultures to take care of their ailments if the pandemic hit again. Remember, this is a very pandemic zone, seismic zone, a lot of seismic activity. And so everything revolved around these, the seismic activity and how they can live in this area by at the same time not falling ill and succumbing to the uh, ills of the, of the region. Hence, you see the Abbasites went in search of knowledge from the Hindus in Hindustan, the Chinese, the Greeks, the Sassanid, the Berber, and even the Europeans. Islam says they invented the concept of hospitals. How? They just took over hospitals from the regions they colonized and rebranded them as Islamic inventions. A similar story, the reason being that they knew they were in a volatile area. The Levant is prone to natural disasters and pandemics. They needed new ways of treating these ailments and pandemics than what the ancients practiced. It was not new inventions, but a way to overcome geographical handicap and ensure the survival of her descendants. But this, my friend, is uh, for now my longest chapter. I hope I gave you some information because um, I was really tired the previous three days and I went back to my podcast and it was uh, a little bit, uh, um, you know, um, not up to the point. So I hope you have all the information you got. You needed this one is very important. It's about the constitution of Medina, which tells you the exact story that uh, Muhammad didn't start it. It was between the Muslimun, uh, Muminun, which is the believers that was, and the Muslimun of Makkah. Um, it was the people of the book who considered themselves uh, uh, the true believers. Only the people of the book. This concept does not come from uh, from Muhammad. It comes from the people of the book. They consider themselves the true believers of God. Only they, and they came out with this concept. But no one knows that because no one reads Judaism. No one understands Christianity. No one understands the history. They go straight into Islam. And that's not possible. Um, so I hope you have... Um, a lot of information we haven't finished we haven't even come to half of it uh it's a long thing it took me 20 years to get this together my friends 20 years uh and that's why it's long uh but it was good to finally get it out and i hope you like it take notes spread the message spread the um spread share the podcast have this conversation with your friends and as many friends as you can and ask them to have the conversation with their friends discuss it write it uh externalize your emotions and and make your peace healing is what's important when you understand all of this healing 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 and reconciliation thank you very much for your time i hope you have a great day